Alrighty, boys, welcome back to third ever episode of the Popcorn Podcast, your one-stop shop to get your news, views, and movie reviews of everything Hollywood. It's your boy Danklin coming in hot with Dan and Chase. What's up, boys? What's going on, Frankie? It's a good morning. It is a very good morning. We're actually filming this one in the morning, usually like late night recordings, uh, and this one's going on here really early. We had some major complications throughout the week. (laughs) Major complications. Namely, we all had to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we'll talk about that later. I'm really excited to talk about that. How y'all doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's it's a little early for me on a Saturday, but I'm here. So you guys know it's 10, 15 a.m. on a Saturday. For me, that's early. For other people, they're going to laugh at us. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Fuck them. Because I (laughs) have a full-time job. I totally feel that. And I haven't left to Mexico yet. I'm leaving here. What time do you leave? I'm leaving in about an hour. So we got a a time crunch here. But honestly, this podcast shouldn't be super long. And our goal is to keep them to an hour anyways. So we should be fine. How long are you going to be in Mexico for? I'm going to be in Mexico until Monday. So Oh, a quick little trip? Yeah, it's for my mother's birthday. So three days, two nights. Are Uh, you going to Rocky Point? No, bro. I'm not in Arizona. (laughs) I mean... No, I'm going to, to California's beach. We're going down to uh, Rosarito, uh, Mexico, Ooh. which is a really, really popular site uh, down in Baja, California. And we're going to be visiting Rosarito and then going to uh, Ensenada, uh, La Pufodora, the bl- uh, blowhole in Mexico. And just like kind Sounds of kinky. <laughs> it's really fucking fun. It's like this place where there's like a bunch of shops and restaurants. They're like all like stalls. Uh, and there's a blowhole there, but you really go for all the shops. Like my mom's like making it so we're all like five people are only bringing two bags, so we can buy a bunch of shit and bring it back home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're bringing in a full truck bed, and we can only bring two bags. I'm like, why? And she's like, cause. And I was like, cause you're gonna buy stuff. She's like, yeah. <laughs> like, how much stuff is there to buy? <laughs> Uh, you, you get my mother in Mexico and you, you put her in a fucking flea market. She's going to buy everything. That's so funny. <laughs> We're going to come home with furniture, like outdoor furniture, like indoor furniture, but like pottery and like outdoor furniture and all that stuff. And yeah, my mom's in it. I wouldn't be surprised. My mom got like a wall this time around, you know, a wall. <laughs> yeah. Just like a wall to put in the backyard, like a wooden wall or like a clay wall. Yeah. Like that's my prediction <laughs> what she's going to get this trip. Oh my god. Yeah, she goes all out. How you doing, Chase? What you up, been up to this week? Oh, I just got a nice cup of coffee going right now, Frankie, trying to wake up. It's pretty a, early for me, too. It's a fucking <laughs> smart idea is what that is. It's a good thing we don't live yeah, in New York City because I think all those people wake up at like 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank God I don't have a job that makes me wake up. I know I've got a couple buddies that wake up like at 5 and 6 a.m. Danny has to be at work at 5.30. That means he has to wake up at least at like 4. Yeah, Q's got work at 7.30, so he has to wake up at like 6, 6.30. That's not nearly as bad. Yeah, Danny's is a special case of hell. I've got That's a, like, yeah. I've got a friend who volunteers at a homeless shelter whenever he's not working. And that's like at 6.30 a.m., so he's got to be up at like 5, 5.30 it's, that's big of him <laughs> yeah it, he's uh trying to be a doctor so he he volunteers at a homeless shelter multiple times a week here in town it's uh quite the endeavor but quite the commitment it really is 
let's get started on this uh, this podcast. We're going to go straight into the news and views, boys. This week has a little bit of news. It's not been absolutely filled with news. I think the biggest reason we actually have news is we waited so long between recordings. Uh, but first little bit is the Lion King and Spider-Man Far From Home both surpassed $1 billion globally. I am personally proud to say that I have given $15 to the Lion King and like $30 to Spider-Man Far From Home. So essentially, that statement says, Disney has surpassed $2 billion globally. Yep. (laughs) For the fourth time this year. For the fourth time this year. Man, if that's not a fucking monopoly, I don't know what is. You mentioned last they own Boardwalk, they own Park Place. Bro, they own the entire side of the board. They own the blues, they own the, the greens. Yeah. <laughs> Some pinks, even yeah. a couple of railroads. Yeah. They own them all, dude. It's ridiculous. And I, With I, Disney Plus coming out, it's going to be a whole new game. Yeah, and I love Disney, man, but fuck. I'm, I'm really worried if it's like, if it, whether or not it's stifling the competition, you know? Because, like, I just hope that with their rapid, like, money that they're bringing in, they maybe lower some of the prices to like Disney World or something that used to be their oh, no. money maker. Every year, and every year they're gonna bump it up still. Uh, oh d- yeah, Disney's a bunch of assholes. Every year they're gonna bump. They want dreams to come true at a price. <laughs> yeah, nothing comes free. All right, kiddo. Uh, it's speaking it's... of hey, one more thing on Disney. Did you guys see that article about the millennials going to Disney? Yeah, yeah, that pissed me off. (laughs) What are we not allowed to enjoy theme parks either? Millennials are ruining Disneyland now. Millennials, we're not allowed to be nostalgic with our childhood. (laughs) So, for those of you that don't know, the article said I think it was from Newsweek, and it was something along the lines of if you're a millennial and you're going to Disneyland while single, uh, you're creepy. And I was like, wow, like, that's kind of a personal attack. That article would hate me because I have personally gone to Disneyland by myself. <laughs> <laughs> with no friends, with no family, just so I could ride rides and eat a fucking chimichanga. I've got some friends who have annual passes and they go to Disneyland like once a week. Uh, I'm going to say it's a it's a little creepy when you go like all the time. But then again, like if, you, if I'm paying over $1,000 bet my ass i'm gonna go all the time why is that creepy though like why i just out of curiosity why does going to a theme park that you love have anything to do with children or being creepy it's not about like, children what, in my mind just like if but like what makes it creepy then besides the fact that there are children? so so here's my thing i don't think a theme park should be your personality you know uh if your entire personality is just going to disneyland over and over uh it's kind of uh I think crazy. it varies because I it have does. friends that go to every music rave festival that comes out, drop four to five hundred bucks for a three day thing, and they go to every single one that comes to Arizona. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas for me, I would never go to one. But I would spend tons of money going to Disneyland over and over. Again, I think it's, uh, I think it's a preference. No, that's totally the same thing, is that if you're a base head, not if you're a base head, but like I typically am not friends with too many bases. I am friends with some. Uh, but if, like, one thing defines your entire personality, it's just boring, you know? I think that's the best mm. way to put it. Uh, I think one good way to look at it is don't go to Disneyland for anyone else but yourself. Very, very, very true. Yeah. Disneyland is amazing. 
and I, I don't go to Disneyland to entertain people. <laughs> I go to <laughs> Disneyland to entertain myself. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> also California Adventures, you know, they got like they got alcohol, they got tons of stuff that as a child <laughs> you were not able to enjoy. Let's get you thrashed. know, and I feel like going there as an adult, even as a young adult, it's a totally different experience. Yeah, and all I'm thinking about is like the Tower of Terror, rest in peace. Uh, California, it's still screen. alive and well in Florida. Yeah, I miss it. I haven't been on Guardians. I haven't been. Neither on have I. We should make a trip. <laughs> I'm talking all this shit on Disney. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you go to Disneyland all the time, good for you because you spent a thousand dollars. So go all your heart uh, to your heart's content. That is, that is what I gotta say. Uh, yeah. Next little bit of news, kind of on the the train of how much a movie has made, is Once Upon a Time surpassed expectations uh, pretty considerably. It's a rated R movie. It's uh, nearly three hours. It's like two hours and 40 minutes long. Original film. And that movie pulled in just over 40 million here. Uh, Was that globally or in the United States, Chase? I believe it was uh, the United States. I don't even think it's open globally. I was going to say, I don't know if it's open globally. Which is really impressive for an original property. But for me, it's really depressing seeing that Disney makes billions of dollars like nothing and then like $40 million is an achievement for someone else. Well, because it's exactly what we were just talking about though. Yeah, it's rated R and the thing with Disney is I think going back to the theme parks, it's not just for children. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Disney movies can be viewed Mm -hmm. by children, adults, and elders. You know, everybody loves it whereas a Quentin Tarantino movie, a rated R Quentin Tarantino movie is a very small category yeah. of people that are going to be into also that, you know what i mean nothing that disney does is original there's very 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 few original disney properties disney coco the, that, that is one of the few great ones <laughs> i just i just had to throw that up <laughs> uh, but most of them are either remakes or they're sequels or they're superhero movies or they're based off of the grimm's tales yes and there's just no real original disney properties coming out it's kind of a shame that we're still like, you know, like 2009, 2010 was really cool to be in the superhero era. And we we're raving all week about Marvel last week. But like, I'm not going to be disappointed when the superhero movie finally dies. You know, once we start getting some real diversity, because it sucks that the only movies that do well are superhero movies. That well, it depends on what you categorize action. as doing well. You know, well, success can be varied. If you're talking about money, yeah, superhero movies pull it in, but a superhero movie has never won an Academy Award or any kind of notable award. They've been so nominated. Success, I think, really kind of travels different. Nominated, but for what categories? Probably music no, or special I remember, effects. I remember Black Panther, I think, was nominated for Best Picture, if I'm not mistaken. That, okay, that was the only one that was nominated for Best Picture. You're right, yeah. But I feel like in the grand scheme, they don't get critic reviews like they get fan reviews. Yeah. and Black So I think the varying of success differs black panther was a uh, a movie that wasn't filmed like a superhero movie the plot like, no it wasn't and that's and why, I it, that's did so why well. it did so well mm-hmm. exactly and i think that the biggest thing about black panther was just the the history in the making of itself you yeah. know just this movie with a full mm-hmm. black cast that alone brought in so many people you First know superhero movie since blade uh yeah. but enough of the hating uh, next little bit, the It Chapter 2 runtime was announced this week, and it's long, but I'm not surprised. 
two hours and 49 minutes. Do you guys know how long? <laughs> Do you guys know how long the original was? Like, not the original, but the uh, the first chapter? Uh, it, uh, two hours. It was probably minutes. at least two hours, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely over two hours. Uh, I don't know what it was at the top of my head, but I know the original, the uh, the miniseries, was around four hours, four and a half hours. And it's a very long book. So, like, the fact that the total series runtime is going to be just over five hours uh is not surprising it honestly has me kind of excited uh yeah honestly i was gonna say i feel the same way like i feel like i'm not opposed to movies being longer when there is a story to tell exactly you know what i mean it kind of goes with like the whole game of thrones issue you know like i would have watched 20 episodes of the last season (laughs) if it meant the story was going to be cohesive you know and i feel like for the movie to be two hours and 49 minutes that just tells me that they're gonna take the time to make this story have an ending and have a conclusion and make sense and be cohesive. And I feel like if it came out and it was going to be like an hour and something or barely two hours, then I'd be like, damn, are they rushing this ending? You know what I mean? But the fact that it's longer shows that they're just like, no, we have to tell the story. They have to tell the story. And there's going to be so many flashbacks to the kids because that's how it goes. Like this is like the, it's going to be intense. Do you think there will be as many flashbacks? Yeah. Because the TV movie had tons of flashbacks, but that's because the adults and the kids' stories were told cohesively. Yes. Simultaneously. So do you think that because there was a part one with the children and now there's a part two with the adults, do you think the children will play as big of a part? Uh, before I didn't sing the runtime, absolutely. There's going to be, a, I, my guess, around 30 minutes worth of flashback scenes. These ki- The kids killed it in the first movie and they're still going to be an integral part. Yeah. So the kids are actually in this movie? Like, they filmed stuff for this movie? Um, they filmed it all cohesively, I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah. part one and part two. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm expecting to see maybe a little less, but no, I'm expecting to see around 30 minutes of flashbacks and two hours and 20 minutes of actual movie. Yeah, no, I think I actually, I think they will be in it for sure because it said that they the, the reason they filmed part one and part two so closely together was so the children didn't age. That makes total sense. Yeah, and they did if you see Mike and Strange. Yeah, Mike has already grown so much. <laughs> I'm really excited for this movie, though, because part one was so fucking good. And it comes out the day before my birthday. It's going to be hype. I'll probably go see that. Uh, What's the day? It comes out September 7th, if I'm not mistaken. Let me... I don't know, Frankie. <laughs> I should have said that. For... <laughs> and I thought I escaped it, Chase. I've... Uh... <laughs> I remember I was talking about making plans for my birthday with a couple of friends here back home. And I was like, oh, we'll just go out Labor Day weekend. And like, when's my Labor Day weekend? I was like, when's my birthday? <laughs> it sounds a, like you should be making plans with us then. <laughs> put them in a real conundrum. It actually, I'm wrong. It comes out September 5th. Oh, wait. Yeah, September 5th. That's in New Zealand. So maybe. Oh. That's like September 6th, our time. I'm reading an article right now. They're de aging the kids. For it chapter two. Like computer animating them? Yep, digital de aging. Just like Will Smith and Yeah, there's gonna be a series of flashbacks that represents the adults regaining their lost memories. Uh have you seen that trailer of Will Smith back in the nineties saying that he was gonna come out with a movie called Gemini Man? Really? That was just a de aging thing. Oh that wasn't it looked like he was from Fresh Prince. 
Yeah, but have you seen the trailer for Gemini Man? Like, it's the same face. Like, they just... That's, oh, okay. I thought that cool he really marketing. did. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer oh, for that Oh, it looks movie? amazing. I'm really excited to see it. It doesn't look that good. Okay, we well, could disagree I was on gonna that. Say, like, yeah. Not amazing, but I'm going to see it because I love Will Smith. I'm hoping it's better than After Earth. I do, I do, I do. I have trouble, like, paying for action movies. Yeah. Yeah, well, and they said this one, the director said Will Smith could get an Academy Award for this. I was like, Yeah, no. I think he should have got an Academy Award for Pursuit of Happiness or Seven Pounds. Yeah, he's not getting one for Gemini Man, though. And if he does, it's just bullshit. <laughs> Next little bit of news is that there is a new Halo TV show coming on Showtime. But the real bit of news for all you gamers out there, when I read this, my fucking jaw dropped because I'm the biggest Halo fan ever. Apparently, they're supposed to be... Biggest Halo fan ever, but how long ago has it been since you played Halo? <laughs> Bro, Halo 3, my, my time speaks for itself. Uh, Halo 4 and 5 don't count, and I still played Halo 4 and Halo Reach. Uh, but Master Chief is supposed to be de-helmeted for the first time, which I don't know if you guys know... They have never taken off Master Chief's helmet in any medium. In the animes, in the games, in the novels, in the comic books. They have never once taken off his helmet. And now they're like, sure, let's take off his helmet. It's like Batman. But like the identity of Batman, where like anyone could be Batman, you know, how they, they say in the fucking Dark Knight trilogy. Like anyone could be Master Chief, but like you can't get rid of the mystery. You can't take that fucker's helmet off. Yeah, I don't really like that message in Dark Knight. Like, I don't agree. I don't think anyone <laughs> can be Batman. I think Bruce Banner can be Batman. Or Bruce... Um, <laughs> Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner. Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Wayne can be Batman and then nobody else. <laughs> I like that message. I, I, I didn't really but you care know about me. it. I'm nostalgic. I just can't see anybody else doing that. Yeah. From my own eyes. I totally get that. I'm just at the point where, like, unless it's Will Smith under the mask, I don't want to see it. Because I remember back when I was a fucking kid, there was talks about like Will Smith being Master Chief and shit, and I'd be like, that'd be cool. But like, I don't want to see anyone under the mask. I don't want to see anyone under the helmet. You can't do that to Halo. That's just a mm -hmm. little bit of news. Uh, some other small little tidbits. We're, we're coming close to the end on news here. The Orange is the New Black final season just started streaming here recently on Netflix for all of you guys who have Netflix subscriptions. So definitely make sure to check that out if you're a big fan. I couldn't get past the first season personally, uh, but I've heard a lot of great things about that I think show. you should give it another go, Frankie. I think that <sighs> when you watched it, you were A, a little bit younger, and B, you probably weren't really like trying. No, I was. I really liked the first season and then because there's a lack of cohesive story. I didn't like the fact that the show yep. was solely about the prison and not like an actual plot. Uh, and that's really what kind of threw me off. We'll give it a shot because the plot... The plot is the prison. The plot is the women in the prison and their stories. Yeah, I didn't like that. It was like, I could be watching like Grey's Anatomy if I wanted a better plot. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? No way, dude. Dude, that's what, that's what shows you haven't watched it, man. It's, I watched the first two seasons. The first season and about halfway. Yeah, Second that's like season. you saying you watched the first season of Game of Thrones and you decided you didn't like it. How mad would you be at somebody if they said that? Bro, the first season is a lot of investment. That's a f if a show takes multiple seasons to get into, that's that that shows that there is a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. They're not just writing it just for the shit of it, you know. Even Breaking Bad, where, where there's a clear like 
beginning, middle, end. Like Breaking Bad has you hooked by the end of the first season. And the second season, it gets better. Like every season gets better in Breaking Bad because there's a beginning, middle, and end. Not where the first season of Orange is the New Black is promising and then the second season was just shit and I stopped watching it. Maybe I will give it another go. Huh. Second season won a Golden Globe. So yeah, maybe I will give it another go. Try to finish (laughs) that second season. But I can tell you, if I don't ever get through that second season or if I don't enjoy the second season, there's no watching it past that. Because, uh, like, yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, but I know a lot of people love that show, Dan included. Uh, other big Netflix news is Dear White People Season 3 just started streaming now on Netflix. I remember that show making waves when it first came out. I didn't know this was on Season 3, though. It's based off of a film. Uh, I can't remember who the original director is. Uh, but it's based off, like, a, a Netflix or a – not a Netflix. Like, a Hulu or an Amazon film. Uh, that came out in 2014, and now season three is streaming on Netflix. And I've only heard good things, and I've actually never gotten myself to watch this. So I might watch this one before I watch, uh, what's it's called? Uh, Orange is the New Black. Uh, last little bit of Netflix news is Big Mouth, one of the best animated cartoons on Netflix. Uh, sorry to the BoJack Horseman fans. I think that's also amazing, uh, was renewed for three more seasons. And the uh, casting reveal for that with Nick Kroll was fucking hilarious because he just does every single voice. How do you guys feel about Big Mouth? It's, I, I love it. I think it's, uh, it's not a show that I have finished. Like I haven't uh, seen it all the way through, but it's a good show to put on for me when I'm not really trying to like dive into something or focus on something i think it's a really good show to just kind of watch for me just like uh on the side i feel that yeah it's a really good turn your brain off. yeah it's kind of like a modern day family guy for me yeah and i like that each episode is its contained story so you don't need to like watch like you right they they have like like spongebob yeah like you can watch them in order and get a story out of it but like you you don't need to exactly each episode yeah. is its own little thing. Uh, season two uh, isn't as good as the first season, in my opinion. I think the first season really struck gold, but it wasn't bad. Uh, but I, I, regardless, I'm really excited to see it renewed for a couple more seasons because Nick Kroll is fucking hilarious. I was introduced to him through the league, and I miss the league, and I miss Nick Kroll, so I'm going to keep watching. Yeah, I was going to say, I think one of the funnest parts about Big Mouth is just by trying to guess and recognize the voices because there's just so many comedians and funny voices in it that I think that's, for me, one of the most enjoyable parts is just, like, hearing a voice and being like, oh, it's Maya Rudolph or someone oh, like John Mulaney. <laughs> yeah. John-, John Mulaney has the most recognizable voice, though. Yeah, he does. He, he, the second yeah. I heard Spider-Pig, I was like, that's John. <laughs> it was, it's so great that he's in the too. He's, he's a fucking hilarious dude. Uh, and then last little bit of news is that The Kitchen, the uh, the new mafia crime movie with Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, and Elizabeth Moss, correct? That's the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss is going to be out next Friday. And y'all know I fucking hate, hate Melissa McCarthy movies. I talk all day about how, how much I hate them. And I might see it because I'm a sucker for crime movies. 
See, I'm I think a- I'll go see the female oceans before I see. <laughs> I don't even movie. know what that is. <laughs> it's the one with Sandra Bullock and uh, like a bunch of other women. Like I'm yeah. just I'm a sucker for crime movies, and if it's a dark comedy crime film, even though it's Melissa McCarthy, I might go see it. Because you don't think it's gonna be kind of cheesy though? Like Tiffany Haddish is in it. Like Tiff- there's no yeah. way it's gonna be a crime movie. Like it's no, gonna I be a comedy more than anything. I think it's gonna be a dark comedy, if that. But no, it's crime movie. Uh, I don't think the tif- the the casting of Tiffany Haddish is anything to to kind of scoff at. Uh, I think she's actually gonna do really well. I think it's gonna be comedic aspects. It's gonna be a dark comedy. Uh, but I think it's gonna be first and foremost a crime movie. And that's why I'm most excited to see it. Because the trailer, at least the way it's presented in the trailer, it doesn't look like a comedy whatsoever in the trailer. Um, oh, I'm interested to hear what you think. Yeah, I'm, I'm pr- probably going to see that. Yeah, and well, the, being a Melissa McCarthy hater, that'll, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting, yeah. Chase, you want to take away the... Did you ever see... What did you well, did you ever see Can You Forgive Me with Melissa no. McCarthy? What's that? Well, that came out last year. She was nominated for a... Yeah, I actually did notice that she was nominated... Oh, what was it? Yeah, like she got it was a drama movie, drama crime movie, just like this. Like, uh, and she was in it, and she got nominated. So mm-hmm. we all hate her, but she can actually act. Well, yeah, time. that makes me even a little bit more excited. Chase, you want to take away the uh, the view section, news and views? Let's do it. So we had a few big trailers drop this week, and easily my favorite, which I'm starting for right now, is The Irishman. Oh man, I am a Stoked for this. Uh, it's directed by Martin Scorsese. One of my top five directors. De Niro, Pecci, and Pacino is going to be in his first Scorsese film, which is hard to believe. But just that three in the cast is going to make this movie awesome. And I'll just get the Wikipedia synopsis before and we talk about it. But The Irishman is basically a story of Frank Sheeran. He's a mob hitman and a World War II vet. And he develops his skills in service during Italy. Then now as an old man, he reflects on the events that defined his career as a hitman, particularly that role he played in the disappearance of labor leader Jimmy Hoffa and his involvement with the Buffalino crime family. Like, so I don't know about you guys, but that sounds It's awesome. going to be so fucking good, man. Scorsese is one of my favorite directors of all time. He's in the top five. The Departed and other Scorsese mm-hmm. films are on my short list for favorite movies of all times. He's just a, a spectacular director. He knows how to shoot a film. Yeah, and I well, and I love him, and just having him and De Niro and with Pecci in it again, like it's gonna be good. Uh, yeah, Goodfellas and Casino. <laughs> I was gonna oh, say it's gonna be like, Goodfellas. Come on, it's it's gonna be so good, and then just the freaking I just can't believe that Pacino has never been in a Scorsese film. That's surprising. that is surprising. It's to me gonna too. be all the better. It, it really is uh, surprising. It, it's fucking great, though, man. I'm so excited. I think the thing that was most shocking for me was at the very last second when they are like doing like the little credits roll on the trailer. It's going to be a Netflix film. That was yep. fucking shocking. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm going to go with the Netflix film. I'm like, what? Dude, to, the, to me... It is going to be in theaters. Yeah, it's, it said it's going to well. be in select theaters in certain places. Of course it is, because they want to be considered legitimate. Because most times Netflix films are and legit- I see it legitimate. Theaters. I need to see it. But in this is too. exciting to me because I'm happy that like these streaming services are really, like really stepping up the game. You know, they're adding these prices to the streaming. But I can be okay with it if I'm going to be getting quality movies like this. You know what I mean? Like 
to me, paying an extra two, three bucks a month for Netflix is valid when they come out with Martin Scorsese movies with a CGI Robert De Niro. You know, like so, that to me is well worth the raise. So here's my uh, what's the word? I don't know the word. I I've got Two some cents. no. I'm I'm kind of nervous. I'm I'm kind of nervous in the movie because it's produced by Netflix. Because Netflix action movies, I, I, I haven't seen Netflix produce any dramas, original dramas, but their action movies honestly almost always hit the miss the mark. Like they always struggle. They have piss poor plots. Yeah, but guys, do you think this will be an action movie? No, it's gonna be a drama, but Netflix being tied to it makes me very nervous. Netflix being but tied you- to it makes it seem almost like Michael Bay. Is like it's pro- directed by Scorsese, but produced by Michael Bay. The thing is, though, is you I know? think that it really depends on who's involved. And Netflix sometimes misses the mark for sure, but sometimes they really hit it. You know, like I think Bird Box was one of mm-hmm. the most successful movies of the year last year, and that was on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Bird Box was so successful. It was. I'm pretty sure I saw an article that said that Bird Box was the highest viewed. Netflix original in history. No, that was the new Adam Sandler yep. movie. Oh, I think Bird Box was that, and then maybe Adam Sandler beat him, which is insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when Adam Sandler beats you at something, you know something went He's up. kind of the Netflix man now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm like, it sounds all good, but I'm still like, Netflix to me is like, like I said, it's Martin Scorsese directing it with Michael Bay producing it. I'm really, really nervous about Netflix making a movie that should and could be amazing into something that's not so great. Mm-hmm. I'm really worried about that. Like, it's cool that it's going to be on streaming platforms, and if it's if it's a Scorsese film with no other influences, it's going to fucking knock it out of the park. But the thing is, too, you got to give credit to the actors. You know, you got Robert De Niro and Pacino and actors that rarely dis- like disappoint me, you know? Like, it has amazing like, actors, but I I can say I've seen De Niro and Al Pacino so great as well. Like they've they've taken roles where the director fucked up the movie, uh, and it's it's got all the makings to be an amazing. The Netflix tag makes me worried. I'm hoping I'm wrong because I want to love this movie. I want to yeah. love it. It's Scorsese. Like the in the trailer, there's a little callback to Goodfellas. Uh, that I fucking loved. Like it looks like such an, a great. Like I love mom movies. I love crime movies. It's gonna be fucking. I'm hoping it's gonna be fucking great. But Netflix makes me worried. It, I I'm not too worried because last year they had Roma. Like they they do make good movies. That yeah, Roma. So. I'm pretty sure won an Oscar. They won a couple, yeah, I believe. Yeah. So hopefully my my worries are not. Netflix, I feel like it, it. I feel like it really depends. And like I said, I think it has a lot to do with who's involved. You know, I remember that one movie that came out, Triple Frontier. I was yeah. so excited for, and then okay. when I saw it, it was not that good. But then also, when you look at who was involved, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a huge Ben Affleck person. You know, I'm not a huge fan of really any of the actors that were involved. Well, it's funny. I think Ben Affleck was one of the redeeming pieces in Triple Frontier. Right, exactly. And like, I still mm-hmm. wasn't a huge fan of him. Whereas with this movie, I have a little bit more faith because it's like, it's got all of our favorite mob, you know, actors that are still alive, respectfully, in this movie. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm hoping. I think cool. I think Ray Liotta is the one that I didn't see. Yeah. Right. Ray Liotta. No, he's not. Yeah. Oh, he's not in it. Okay. <laughs> He's too busy on the Chantex smoker. Yeah, he's too busy now. selling honey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chase, should we move on to this next one? All right, should we yeah. get into the next one? Yeah, let's do it. So the next one comes out. This movie looks good. It is Little Monsters. And I, can only, I can't really figure out what the synopsis is besides, like, this lady takes a bunch of kids to a camp and zombies attack. Uh, is that what I haven't seen the trailer. It's it's supposed to be a comedy horror. Yeah, movie. it's got Lupita Nyong'o. And that's promising. It honestly looks yeah. really good. Like I saw the trailer like two days ago, and I was like, "This looks really, really good." Not only do I think Lupita Nyong'o has really established herself in the horror genre, but I think now with this movie, she's establishing herself as a comedian because you can tell it's going to be a mixture of like comedy and horror. And already in the trailer, she looked funny. Like she looked like she would be a funny character, and but also has that horror element to her, where she looks scared as shit. I'm glad that it has Josh Gad in it too. That was an interesting uh, name when I read that. I'm I'm reading up on the movie right now. The trailer. Uh, I yeah. like Lupita. I mean, yeah, she's good. She's good enough. I'm excited for just to see another zombie movie. I feel like the zombie like era what we had was like ten years ago, and then it kind of stopped. And now this year we get Little Monsters and Zombie yeah, Land. They're bringing it back. They're bringing the zombie uh, back. It'll be pretty cool. Yeah, we have to start worried about the end of the world again. You know what's what? funny is I was expecting the the superhero genre to die, like the the zombie, because the zombie genre came and went. The superhero genre has been here for like two decades now. <laughs> It's been here for fucking ever. Maybe we should get some zombie superheroes. Oh my movies. god. Ooh, yeah. Peak Hollywood. Yeah, Peak Hollywood. <laughs> Alright, let's get into the next one. So another movie that came out this week on the trailers was The Hunt. Uh, it's about 12 strangers. They wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. And they don't know what they've been chosen for. But for a very specific purpose, they're on the hunt. And it's basically a movie about rich people hunting poor people. I don't know about you guys, but I'm that kind of sounds interesting. interesting. Oh, it has a ton of good actors in it too. So yeah, I'm um, looking at the cast right now. It's got, who do we got? Name some. Emma Roberts, uh, Ike Barinholtz are the two ones that pop out to me. Uh, well, then Hillary Swank. You got Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny. Uh, you got Justin Hartley from This Is Us. You got it's a ton of well-known actors. That looks good. When does that come out? September. It comes out September twenty-seventh. We got a lot of good movies coming out in September. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time to be. Like, I might have to get that AMC stub stat. <laughs> you know, Movie Pass has got to start. Yeah. See, I don't have AMC, so I can't do that in Flagstaff. I'm at a disadvantage. Movie Pass has been shut off for over a month yeah. now, and I'm really angry. It's going to be shut off for a while, is what it said. But just get the AMC Stubbs Pass, Frankie. It's 20 bucks See, at the same price. The and you can actually only AMC theater near me is a, like the shittiest theater near me. The really nice oh. theaters near me are the Regals. It's called Reading Cinema. I don't know. It's like a, a new chain. It's not very hot. 
Maybe I'll just come down twice a month and we'll see an AMC movie. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. We'll go see IMAX, Dan. You come to see me in yeah. You know what I've always wanted to do? Uh, I, it's kind of random, but I've always wanted to go to those theaters where you can, like, wine and dine. Oh, I did that to see Spider-Man. I saw Spider-Man awesome. and John Wick like that. Uh, it it's was a, a it was called movie movie studio grill where they like there's a button on your seat and they bring like your meal during the middle of the movie like they're amazing at like so how do they do that do they walk in front of you or they like crouch walk super fast are the aisles bigger they're massive aisles yeah. massive aisles like massive aisles you can recline <laughs> fully yeah it's are they like business. chairs that you would have in like school with like the little side panels uh. Well, they're recliners. Yeah, they have like little, yeah, little tables. tables. But they have like little side desks, yeah. like little side like tables. Yeah. Well, yeah, most theaters I go to have that. Right. I just said that I've never been to one, though. So. Oh. Yeah. It's really cool until you uh, get the receipt at the end of the movie. And then you're like, oh, this was fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Five yeah. people. It's like $12 <laughs> tickets, but we spent over $100 on food. Damn. So the food's pretty pricey. Yeah. Or is it the drinks? No, it's the food. It's the food's how they make their money. It's the food and the drinks. Where I went to see a movie with Rachel, and it was it was like ten dollar, fifteen dollar drinks. So. Yeah, I, might as well go to Vegas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a really nice experience, though. Definitely recommend you do it. Until I saw John Wick, and I just saw Spider Man this last weekend doing it. I was gonna so, see one. It was small theaters, all sold out. Unfortunately. Hmm. Wait, should we get in the Let's last trailer? It. I don't know. Much. All right, so I saw this trailer when I saw Fast and Furious. But uh, the movie's called 1917, so it's basically at the height of world, the First World War. Two young British soldiers are given a, uh impossible mission, and a race against time, they must cross enemy territory and deliver a message that will stop a deadly attack on hundreds of soldiers. Uh, so I don't know about you guys. I'm actually kind of excited to see it. I love war movies, and something I feel like we don't get a lot is like world war one movies you only get world war two in vietnam and as of recently like uh -huh. movies so i think uh, having a world war one movie is gonna be pretty cool so with the world war one movie i'm expecting it to be almost a horror because world war one is one of the most felt like wars of all time it, it is terrible the geneva convention came after for a good reason I'm, I'm, I want to, like, if they're going to do World War One right, like, I need to be shocked. This cast looks amazing, you know? When you have Benedict Cumberbatch and Richard Madden, like, I'm expecting... That's what I was about to say. This cast, Richard Madden, Benedict Cumberbatch, Colin Firth, and D Dean Charles Chapman. Do you know who that is? Uh, who is that off the top of my head? Dean Charles Chapman, man. That's fucking Tom and Baratheon. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's the main character, so... I'm... I'm hoping that it's uh, it's gonna do justice because there isn't too many World War One movies, and World War One's a hard one to do right. But if you do it right, man, it's gonna be. I think it has a chance to win awards if they do it right easily, uh, and it's gonna be a harrowing film because World War One is fucking terrible. There yeah, I'm kind of hit or miss with this because for me, with war movies, the trailers always look amazing. But then the like the actual result is always hit or miss. I remember when that Dunkirk movie came out. You know what I'm talking about? I never saw it. Yeah. It came out like last year, I think, or maybe a year prior. 
But the trailer looked Hopefully, so yeah, good, yeah. and I was so excited for it. And then the media, the movie was just mediocre, kind of forgettable. You know. You know, it was the best war movie I saw recently. Not recently, but yeah, a couple past couple of years. Hacksaw Ridge. That's a great movie. It's Hacksaw Ridge is a great movie. Fucking amazing. I was not expecting it to love it as much. That one's really, really good. Yeah. If, if That's got Logan Lerman, right? It's uh, Andrew Garfield. I think. Oh, I'm thinking of what's that war movie that came okay. out with Logan Lerman? Uh, I don't know. Let me look that up for you. Logan. That's the one I'm thinking that you're talking about. Oh, that you know what? Like- I think he's in Hacksaw Ridge too. Or no, he's in Fury. Oh, Fury. That was my favorite movie. The Brad Pitt one. That was a good one. That was a really, yeah. really good one. That was a good one. I, I'm thinking about the part where he's like stuck in the road in the in the cannon, in the, the what's it called? In the tank. And he's like getting yeah. surrounded from all sides. You know what I'm talking about? No, that's a really good one. Damn, I haven't seen the movie in a minute. That's Brad Pitt, Logan Lerman, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, yeah. That one's got a really good cast. Yeah, that was a good movie when it came out. I think it came out in 2016? Uh, 20, yeah, 2014. Dude, you, oh, 2014. Should, wow. you should see Hacksaw Ridge, man. That's Andrew Garfield, and it's the story about a going to war. It's got Andrew Garfield, Vince Vaughn, uh, a couple other guys. It's really, it's intense. Is it on streaming? Uh, it is on YouTube, Google Play, Amazon Prime Video. Uh, Voodoo and iTunes, but you have to pay. So I can watch it on Prime. Uh, you have to pay three ninety nine. Oh, honestly, no, it's, it's worth three ninety nine. It's that movie like made me cry. It's intense. I'll watch it if you watch Orange Is the New Black, bro. Uh, yeah, you're gonna miss out. watch <laughs> <laughs> That's more than a fair trade. <laughs> no, because this is a good movie. It's directed by Mel Gibson, though. And man, I might just watch it again this weekend just because it's so good. It's fucking good, man. It's really, really fucking good. If 1917 takes a similar vein, it's going to knock it out of the park. It'll. Well, I think that they always come out with war movies with the intention of them being like, you know, Academy recognized because I feel like that's, you know, they, 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 I feel like war movies is their their way of being like, this will for sure get nominated. You know, it's kind of like Will Smith coming out in it with a drama. You can tell, like, he's trying to get an Oscar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, other cool thing about Hacksaw Ridge is it's a true story. It's, it's, aren't mo- yeah, I was going to say, aren't most story. war movies based off true stories? Is 1917 based off a true story? It should be based off the year know, 1917. But it adds real elements to World War well, like, No, 1917 is about, like, a not Hacksaw Ridge is about a real person like it just follows his journey throughout the war he's like a real person mm-hmm. so it's like a true well, true story wasn't dunkirk, a real dunkirk movie? was a real movie midway that's coming out this year was the bradley cooper movie yeah <laughs> oh american sniper that's actually probably one of my favorite war movies yeah. of the last like once you see the movie uh, and see what andrew garfield does then oh shit this can't be real and like it's like oh it's real it happened are you trying to tell me? You're trying to make me like Andrew Garfield? Yeah, no, because I don't know if it's gonna happen, dude. Really I am. <laughs> I am. The, the sh- I'm pretty angry at him still. <laughs> what he does in that movie is—you uh, just gotta see it. I'm not gonna spoil it because it made me cry. It's a good movie. He hasn't done anything in a while. You guys want to get onto one of the best war movies? 
Let's do it. Dan, take All right. So we started our throwback movie this week. In honor of the new Quentin Tarantino release, we did none other than Inglorious Bastards. Because if you're going to watch a Quentin Tarantino movie as a throwback, it's got to be that one. It's uh, by far. I can disagree with you, favorites. but I think it's the best Quentin Tarantino movie. I think there's more throwback Tarantino films, though, aka Pulp Fiction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that it's a better movie. I think um, it's a better movie, too. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a walking contradiction. So basically, I'll get into my review first. For starters, I haven't seen this movie all the way through in probably like four years. So it's been kind of a while since I've seen it all the way through. I think the last time I watched it all the way through was like with you guys in the house. Uh And I don't even think we watched it all the way through because it's such a long movie that I think we ended up like stopping halfway through. But I just forgot how good Tarantino is at the suspense, but more importantly, how good Christoph Waltz is. Oh. All of his scenes are, are, I'm on the edge of my seat. My heart is beating. You know, obviously that first scene, you know, everyone's seen that one first of, scene. One of the best scenes in film ever. Yeah, where he goes into the, the farmer's house and through conversation gets him to admit that he's sheltering Jewish people beneath the floorboards. That scene alone is so intense. People study that movie like, in film school. But the other scene that Christoph Waltz does that I think is equally as intense is the one where I don't know I don't know how to pronounce her name, but she's the Jewish girl that escapes. Shoshana. Shoshana, yeah. It's when she's in the restaurant and he's like sitting there with her at the uh-huh. table. And he's like forcing her to eat the 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 pastry. And he's like, Go ahead, have a bite. And she's like, No, I'm good. And he's like, No, have a bite. And it's just such a creepy scene and he is so good in that scene because the suspense that you're like fuck is he gonna figure out who she is is she gonna get busted right now like he makes him pretend like so they good. have the power in the scene when in reality because he's like oh have a bite like you must like you do it first like whatever like whenever he's on the screen he takes away their power by making them believe they have power if that makes exactly sense. and he's just so it, it has a yeah. lot to do with the writing for sure but it has a lot to do with christoph waltz and just how good of an actor he is I think specifically playing a role like that. I think he really was able to shine in that kind of a role. Because I've seen some other Christoph Waltz movies, and he's not, like, the best in all of them. But I think in Inglorious Bastards, he by far steals the show in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And he's just so good at that suspense, dude. That scene, I forgot about that pastry scene. And I was sitting there, like, I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. And I still was like, is she about to get caught? (laughs) Is she about to to be outed right now? Like, Uh it's... Those two scenes with the suspense are one of the reasons why I love Inglorious. And then another reason I love it is because of how Tarantino almost took a real-life event that really happened and, in a way, rewrote it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He rewrote it. Yeah, to, completely, it's a fairy tale. Inglourious basically, yeah. And I, I feel like you know a lot of his movies aren't really about like a real thing that happened for the most part. I mean, they, ah! they are based... I mean, I think Django's the most related one to that. Three of his films are like, about real events. I think... Yeah, the last three ones. The last yeah. three... Is that Hateful Eight? No, Hateful Eight isn't. But oh, Django, Glorious, and Once Upon a Time Glorious. are all about real events. Right, so those... But, like, when you look at, like, Kill Bill or, you know, uh, Hateful Eight, those are just good kind of, like, action movies. They're a lot more original. But I really appreciate how in, in Glorious he took a real-life event and like 
completely change the outcome of it. Yeah, it's a it, it's effect, such a yeah. badass ending. It's such a badass ending. It's yeah. Tarantino saying film killed the Nazis, literally like film killed the Nazis. And he's like, I don't know if he has caught on more importantly, Shoshana. Yeah. Well, like that's in the film, but like the, the overall theme is like film killed the Nazis, but yeah, Shoshana does it. I don't know if you guys caught on chapter one of, uh, inglorious bastards. Do you guys recognize the title? I don't remember what it's called. Once upon yeah, a time in Nazi occupied France. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah it's a fairy tale, much like how once upon in Hollywood, but it's once upon a time dot 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 in Nazi occupied France. And that's where I was like, this is a fairy tale. And I should have recognized that Hollywood was gonna be a fairy tale as well. It's in the title. See, I definitely got that because of the title, because I just felt like he was saying, once upon a time, you know, right off the bat, that kind of starts it out as like, this didn't really happen, but we wish it did, or it could have, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. When he uses that, it's a fairy tale. Uh, and Inglorious Bastards is the fucking Nazi killing. It's it's excessive violence, and I love it, because I, like, who doesn't fucking hate Nazis, you know? And when you get to see the bastards, Lieutenant Alderaan's bastards fucking scalping Nazis, blowing, like, mowing them down with MP40s in a burning theater while they all burn alive, it is the ultimate revenge fantasy. And it has some of the best, like, filmmaking techniques and suspense-building techniques in any film of recent memory, yeah. like the, people study this movie in film classes because there are countless scenes that just kill it. The the entire like middle 40 minutes, the bar scene is probably my favorite scene in the entire movie. The bar scene is so intense. And I also love uh, Diane Kruger. Is that her name? Oh, in the movie, it's uh, Von Hammersmark. Well, yeah, her name in real life is it's Diane, Diane Kruger. Kruger. Okay, yeah. I love her in this movie, and I feel like I've, I only remember her from National Treasure, to be quite honest. That's like the only other movie I can yeah. think of her being in, but she is so good in Inglourious. Troy, Helen. She does so well. What'd you say, Chase? She was Helen of Troy in Troy. With oh, Brad Pitt. she was. I knew her. I, okay, I knew I knew her face from somewhere else, and I kept wanting to say, like, a god. So that makes sense that she was from Troy. There you go. She's a fucking goddess, man. She's so beautiful. <laughs> she really is. And the scene with her in the, the bar, but then also the scene where she's in the theater and the, the guard is questioning her on her broken leg. Oh, that's uh, not a guard. That's uh, Hans Landa. Yeah, it's oh, Christoph Waltz questioning her. That scene is... Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Such good suspense. Again, Christoph Waltz making you feel like yeah. shit's about to go off, even though nothing does in that moment. Well, it does. It takes a... It, I mean, he brings it's her into the room. He brings her into the room. But oh, like, yeah. in that moment, you know, you're thinking, what the fuck's going to happen? Like, Yeah. It, it, it does amazing. It's such a good cast, man. I, yeah. I was laughing constantly at Brad Pitt as Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Just his quips... And the Arrivederci. Uh, and another Arrivederci. <laughs> uh, he's such a great character. I think this is probably one of my favorite Brad Pitt roles, yeah. to be quite honest. Another he, little throwback. Yeah. Antonio Margheriti. Christoph Waltz. Oh, yes. That character is mentioned in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When he's filming the Spaghetti Westerns, and they're on the plane, and Kurt Russell's doing the voiceover. 
he does an Antonio Margheriti film. I recognized it instantly because mm-hmm. I was like, it's, it's Inglorious Bastards. And actually, Antonio Margheriti is a real actor, but I thought it was so fucking funny that they, they included that little Easter egg back to Inglorious Bastards, saying that he's fucking directing spaghetti westerns. One thing I also forgot was that Brian from The Office was in it. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, When he's mask. just standing there, I was like, oh, shit. He does really good in the, uh, in the final scene, though. The, not the final scene, but when he, they're negotiating with Christoph Waltz for the uh, yeah. terms of his surrender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He, he does, the whole cast kills it. It's such a good fucking movie. I um, almost want to watch it again. Like, <laughs> <after this>. It's... <laughs> I, I've had that movie on my iPhone see it in theaters uh because she thought like nazis were gonna go shoot up in the movies back in like 2009 uh and i was in middle school and me and my one of my best friends jaquan wanted to go see it and we couldn't go see it because my mom was just like fucking crazy and i remember watching it finally uh with my family because i couldn't go see it with my friends uh loving it getting it on itunes and i've had it on my itunes it's the only movie i own on itunes is inglorious bastards uh and it's so fucking good it is such a good movie, and I didn't think it was in my favorite Tarantino film. But like, you know what? It 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 marks all the boxes of Tarantino. It has the suspense. It has the over the top action. It has the long dialogue. It has it has the, the comedy. It has the comedy exactly. It has it yeah. all. Like it is pinnacle Tarantino filmmaking. The final line of the film is Tarantino talking to the audience. I think this might just be my masterpiece. I think it is his masterpiece. You know that that line is so recognizable, and it, it is his masterpiece. I fucking loved it. Yeah, I uh, I definitely agree that it's by far one of my favorite Tarantino movies of all time. But also, I think it would go in like a top twenty list of like just favorite movies of all time because I can watch that movie anytime and still be just as excited about the outcome. Yep. I was wishing when I was rewatching, like, what it would be like to watch this movie for the first time. Like that first scene alone is one of the best scenes in film ever. And I was like thinking during that scene, I was like, I would like kill to be able to watch this scene. Like it was my first time ever watching it, and it's still good even though it's not. But like the first time you watch that scene, the first time you watch that entire movie, it is something else. It, it's a- yeah, because in 2009, I thought it was good, and I didn't even know what good was. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a fucking fairy tale, and I fucking... I loved it. Uh, we're, we're running out of time here, though, so let's move on to... Well, quick review. What is your guys' rating? For Inglourious Bastards, it's by far... I'm going to give it 9.1 out of 10. Okay. It's not like up there on the grand scheme, but it's still an A movie in my opinion. So mine's going to be a little higher. Mine off the top gets a 9.0 out of 10. It's fucking amazing. Comparing it to other of my 9 out of 10 movies and other You said 9.0? Well, to start. Comparing oh. it to other Tarantino films and other my favorite uh, films of all time, it's a 9.3 out of 10. Maybe a 9.4. Honestly, it's a 9.4. It's it's a really really good movie. It's really fucking good. Chase, what's your rating? Uh, very good as well. I honestly would rank it 
in the high nines or above a nine as well. And I'm going to give it a 9.3. It's we'll get into it in a few sections, but this is obviously all of our favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. So a 9.3, I think is a, a very solid rating. for. And you know what I'm just noticing? Huh? I used to own this movie and I'm looking at my DVD. We're looking at your DVD and what you cut out. I don't see it. That sucks. So I'm getting really, I'm getting really scared. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, Speaking of this movie, where is it? <laughs> Someone did that to my Lord of the Rings films. It's okay. They took all of the, the regular copies and n- none of the special features. So I thought I owned it for the longest time. It's fucked up. Chase, you want to take us on to Once Upon a Time? Let's do it. All right. So it came out this past week, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, directing and writing. It stars Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie. This movie was amazing i loved it i don't know we'll see what you guys have to say as well but basically the movie kind of follows uh sorry oh leo dicaprio's character rick dalton and uh his stunt double what's brad pitt i can't think about it right now yeah i was gonna Uh, say it's cliff Cliff something cliff booth so follows both of them around hollywood in 1969 and kind of adds margot robbie as sharon tate they're washed up western stars well, he's a washed-up Western star, and Brad Pitt kind of had some troubling history as he People kind of thought he killed his wife. Yeah. His wife. <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of has trouble on set with people like Kurt Russell and Zoe Bell. So, um, anyways, it basically just revolves around them being washed up and trying to get acting in this era, while also adding in the Manson family and Sharon Tate in the 1969 yeah. era. So, just going into that. Uh, what did you guys think about it? I'll start. I really, really loved it. I thought it was good. Um, kind of a random thing. I loved that Robin was in it from fucking Stranger Things. Yeah, Maya Hawk. I was like, oh, yeah, I holy shit, realize. it's Robin. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, she's making waves right now. Because uh-huh. I'm pretty sure Stranger Things was her first <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, Maya Hawk was... Well, it's the, it's the yeah. daughter of Uma. She's gonna be... Passed. Exactly, the daughter of Uma yep. Thurman, the daughter of Ethan Hawk. Uh, she's gonna do well. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I I really really liked it. Um, I really liked the like like the kind of the overall message that was given, you know, towards the end. Once you kind of realized what the movie was really about, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. You know how he was kind of through a cult culty kind of movie was telling us that cult movies are the the problem. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or not necessarily the problem, but the way we interpret them and the way we view them as a society. And I feel like that's one thing that um, Ryan Murphy with American Horror Story always explored. Because he was saying, like, yeah, people talk about how do- dark and sadistic my shows are, but you still love it. And you still want that in a weird, sadistic way. And I feel like Quentin Tarantino kind of touched on this in, in the movie, how we as a society, to the core, kind of want this, like dark narrative sometimes you know what i mean and we make things darker because we're like in our own way we can all be kind of sadistic with with stuff you know what i mean yeah i thought that was really interesting how he was kind of showing that through you know we we you know people say that all the time with like video games you know it kind of promotes violence and i feel like that's kind of what he's saying right now with film and with like tv and stuff is through that as a society we can be a little uh, what's the word? A little irresponsible with our decision making. Yeah, I I really like this movie. Definitely. Uh, and it's definitely a movie you need to see more than one. 
there is so much going on in terms of the uh, the overarching messages. There's there's definitely a deep meaning behind the movie, and I think kind of hit on it there. Uh, I, I I love that it's a fairy tale. The, the all of the suspense for the final forty five minutes of the movie is the fact that you know what's going to happen. You think you know what's going to happen. You think you yeah. know, like <laughs> it's going through the days, the the day of Sharon Tate's murder. It's Kurt Russell doing the ominous voiceover. It's building up. You know, shit's going to go down, and then you have him on the street. You have it. Just, the suspense keeps building and building, and you know, you know, with everything in your might, like I don't want to see this happen, but it has to happen. And then Rick Dalton steps in and yells at them while they're in the car. And then they go trying to kill him. And that the, the, the scene where it's Cliff Booth and his dogs versus the Manson family. Oh, my God. I was cheering, and I wasn't the only one. There was fucking cheering during that scene. Yeah. It was so... Everyone in it. He theory. treated the Manson family to the same excessive violence that they subjected Sharon Tate to. Because... I'm sure you guys already know about this. For anyone ship that doesn't really know about the Manson murders, they murdered Sharon Tate in real life, but it was gruesome. They killed Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. No, Roman Polanski's still alive. He was, uh, yeah, he was. Wasn't he there? No, he was in uh, out of town. No. They murdered her. Oh, it was his house. Yeah, they murdered her, Jay Sebring, and uh, the heir to the heirs to the Folger's fortune. Oh, I think I just assumed that that guy was Roman Polanski because they said it was his house. No, that was Jay Sebring. Uh, Roman Polanski was uh, out of the country shooting him. And they they murdered them. And they were told to make it as gruesome as possible. And they splattered their blood all over the walls. And they wrote on the walls, like... uh, Something about a pig. Yeah, they wrote something about pigs on the walls. Like, it was gruesome, grotesque murders. And she... She was eight months. Yep, she was about to give birth, and a lot of historians to be the death of the sixties. And now we weren't subjected to it. Instead, we get to see the Mansons subjected to the same kind of excessive violence that they carried out in real life, and it was so good to watch. Uh, And it was so unexpected. I was expecting, you know, everyone's going to die in this fucking. And it's going to be rough to watch, but it's a fairy tale and it has a fairy tale ending. Uh, and it's kind of sad too, because the, the final shots where it shows uh, Rick Dalton, Leo's character going up, talking to Sharon Tate, confirming that she's alive and showing her saying that the, the 1960s isn't going to die here. Uh, and Hollywood can still maintain its, its glory days and its power. Uh, but then it zooms out. And then it plays on the screen once upon a time in Hollywood, just to remind you, like, this is great and all, but it's still just a fairy tale. Uh, I think it's so good. And I need to watch this movie again because I got to break it down even more. There's so much to break down. I want to see it again, too, because I also saw it at nine in the morning uh, (laughs) because I had work that day. And so it it was just seeing movies that early is a different experience. Let me tell you, your your brain's not even on yet. yet. So I was like. You know, it took me a minute to remember what I was saying while I was in the theater because I was just like high as shit and tired as shit <laughs> and a little stressed because I was like, I hope I get out in time. 
you know, to go to work because it's like a three-hour movie essentially. You know what I yeah. will say is the actress, the young actress who played uh, I think her name was Maribel in the movie, fucking killed it as well. The, yeah, the who's that? I'm looking at her name right now. It is Dakota Fanning. The the cast is star set. It's got that's Dakota Fanning. No, no, Dakota. Fanning. Oh, I was gonna say no. no I was gonna say Dakota Fanning is the other. Yeah, <laughs> she's the redhead. It has Dakota yeah. Fanning, Al Pacino, Luke Perry, which actually is his last film. Kurt Russell, uh, Emil Hirsch. Oh, that's Luke Perry's the thought. Oh, damn. Lena Dunham's in it. Uh, Maya Hawk. Bruce Dern is George Fan. Austin Butler is uh, Charles. Yep. Uh, apparently, James Marsden. I'm trying to find out who the girl James oh. Marsden, who is he? Uh it doesn't say on IMBD. So maybe he isn't in the I noticed Maybe they say his name or I don't know. I noticed uh what's his face from Westworld uh is in it. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but one of the actors from Westworld is in it. Uh what is her name? The the little girl. I can't find it. Chase, what do you gotta say about the movie though? Uh, honestly, you touched on it perfectly. This movie is a fairy tale, and the movie, essentially, I loved it, and the movie's basically about nothing, right? It's just following these two washed-up guys going through their days in Hollywood, not doing really anything. You know, Leo's trying to keep his acting career alive, and Brad Pitt's just, I don't know, trying to live, basically, after what happened to his wife, and by the end of the movie, you see him kind of getting shut out by Leo because now Leo's getting married. So, I mean, essentially, the movie's about nothing, and it leads up to this point where you're kind of seeing more about the Manson family, and you're kind of seeing what can happen. And, like, you, you touched on Frankie, like, you're just freaking out, like, you know something bad's going to happen uh-huh. at the movie. But what's so cool about it is the fairy tale just leads instead to Brad Pitt kicking the shit out of the Manson family and giving something that we would much rather have a, a better thing mm-hmm. in history of ending the Manson's reign before it ever happened. And it's, you know, basically the exact same of how Inglourious Bastards yep, was, yeah. you know. And Django. Killing, and Django, right? It's killing these terrible parts of history that we should have never happened, but happened. And he's giving you the alternate ending that yep. we wish. And so, I don't know, I, I loved it. I, you know, I thought the movie was really slow, but what is so awesome about Tarantino is he shoots these, extremely long scenes right the dialogue is amazing you get these 15 minute scenes that seem to like never end and you get these special little parts out of each of them and even though people if you see online people talk about this movie and they say like i i didn't like the movie because it was too Mm. long and it had like you could have cut all these scenes out it's like well no not really because what tarantino does so well is he makes these small little scenes and it leads up to this big finale and that's what makes this movie so good yeah so I don't know. I loved it, and I can't. I'm gonna see it again. I might see it this weekend. Yeah, I can't see it this weekend because I have to close tonight and close Sunday. But I'm definitely gonna see it on Monday again because I want to see it again. I'm looking at the cast list right now, and Rumor Willis is also in this. It's it's a fucking star-studded cast. I I love the movie. I I it's a it's a love letter to Hollywood. It's so funny and it's so good. And like Jay said, like it does such a good job. Like part of my favorite parts of the movie is just like. The character building with Sharon Tate without her even talking. Margot Robbie just being this bubbly electric person that you want to be around. Because that's how Sharon Tate was. She was this like loving, free-spirited person that like 
represented the hippie movement way better than the Mansons ever could, you know, and the Mansons left that dark stand on the hippie yeah. movement. And like the, the scene where she's just watching herself in the theater is so wholesome. And it, they do a really good job at preserving Sharon Tate and making sure to not even, they don't even have the Mansons enter her house. They don't even put her even close to harm's way just because like, you can tell like Tarantino is giving her like the love and respect she deserves. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. it's really good. What would you guys' ratings be? Uh, I would probably give this a 9 out of 10. I really liked it, but I don't think it was better than Inglorious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, uh, I gave, so I, we just did Inglorious. I gave it a 9.3, and we'll talk about it soon, but we have our aggregate ranking of all the Tarantinos, and this one's my fourth favorite behind a couple others. But So going off of that, I'd say this is like an 8.8. I thought it was very well and very well made, and I think if I see it again, it might it might be a nine. I just have to yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. I'm rating it an eight nine. Everything considered, it's just outside that nine. Uh, but I think want multiple rewatches is going to raise the score for me because then I'll start catching other things I didn't catch mm-hmm. the first time. Uh, off the first watch, though, it's Definitely. easily an eight nine. I loved it, and I love Tarantino. Uh, we don't have a TV review and recap this because we're still all catching up on euphoria but we're going to have that for you guys next week we're going to be winding down the podcast here but to finish off our tarantino fucking theme podcast we're going to be giving you guys our aggregate ranking on the top three tarantino films of all time chase dan and myself all listed our top tarantino films from for the entire all of his nine films uh and we all put together our own lists, and using that, we're averaging together three. Uh, did we figure out the number three film yet, Chase? No, this is so hard because after the first two, it's just a, it's a huge <laughs> like we all, all like if I if you just go into the first one, Frank, and I will figure. All it right. Out. <laughs> so the first one probably comes as no surprise to any. It is Inglorious Bastards. This is. Honestly, the best Tarantino film, without a doubt, it, it's it's one of the pinnacles of filmmaking. He fucking knocks it out every single which way possible uh, aspect of his filmmaking. It's everything you want in a Tarantino film. It's got long dialogue scenes. It's got comedy. It's got action. It's got everything you want and you need. It's long, but when you're watching the movie, you know, the, the movie could be so much longer. It's perfectly timed. Just it's like almost over two and a half hours. Uh, and and in two thousand nine, I gotta say I wasn't too big into World War Two, and in a weird way, Quentin Tarantino made me into World War Two. <laughs> yeah, like this movie yeah. came out I was in middle yeah. school. Holy shit! And all of a sudden, I was like, I'm very interested in this. <laughs> it's a really, really fucking good movie, and I can't say enough about it. But I don't think that comes at any surprise uh to any of us that inglorious bastards is the number one quentin tarantino film of all time. going on to the next one the number two quentin tarantino film of all time is another one that shouldn't be very many surprise to anyone it was commonly regarded as his best film before inglorious bastards and many people still consider it to be his best film it is definitely his biggest uh cult following it is the one, the only, Pulp Fiction. This movie 
is so complex and so dense and so great. It is non-linear storytelling at its finest. And you need to watch this movie like five or six times to honestly get what the fuck is going on. Because it is it is so fucking complex. I've watched the movie High Out of Balls. I've watched this movie Stone Cold Sober. I watched this movie as a kid. I've watched this movie adult. I've watched this movie in so many different states of mind. And it's good every single time. And even this movie is a little bit of a, a fairy tale. When Brad Pitt escapes from that basement, and not Brad Pitt, fucking uh, Bruce Willis. Oh, Bruce Willis. <laughs> Bruce Willis escapes from the basement uh, and comes back down there with a fucking katana and kills the gimp. And oh my god, man! Like when Mar- that that Marcellus White rape scene is fucking terrifying. But it is such a good movie. This is like Reservoir Dogs is his first film, and it's a classic. This one is Quentin Tarantino's, like, he was owning his craft. And before Inglorious Bastards, I think this is easily his best film in that. I think Pulp Fiction really established his name. Yep. Like, Reservoir Dogs put his name there, and then Pulp Fiction established, this is Quentin Tarantino. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. It does so good. It does so fucking good at everything it sets out to. It's excessive. It's got... Some of the funniest scenes ever. Uh, Samuel Jackson's wallet, his fucking uh, when he gives the speech, the Royale with cheese. Marvin never had an opinion. There are so <laughs> many iconic scenes from that movie. It's it's a very close number two. It's a very very close number two. At least for myself personally, I think I can speak for Chase and Dan as well. Though I, I agree. It is yeah. a very close number two. You guys have anything else to say about? Pulp Fiction. Uh, <laughs> yeah, great, great movie. And one of the most iconic movie posters of all time. Yeah, it is. I had that one on VHS. Yeah. And with Uma Thurman. Yep. Just kind of sitting there. Yeah, that's like one of the most iconic movie posters. I feel like it, it's really fucking good, and it is a Pulp Fiction. That's really what it is. Uh, and the third film on our list is this: is the aggregate score all good now, Chase? It's all the good. third film on our list is actually going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This one was pretty hard to figure out because Chase's third was Django, uh, Dan's third was Pulp, and then my third was Once Upon a Time. And that kind of uh, after third, there's a lot more movies, but averaging it out, Once Upon a Time actually does come out, in- and I think it deserves a spot. It's really good. And like that's not to say that films like Django and Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs, I don't think any of his films are. I don't think a single Quentin Tarantino film is bad. The one that I don't really like and last on our list is Death Proof. Uh, I've never even seen it. Yeah, that's where yep. that's the only one where I'm like, okay, like it's very good. And some people love it too because it's a grindhouse film. I'm once Upon a Time is very much deserved number three, and it could move after multiple rewatches, but we just talked about it a fuck ton. I'm not going to talk everyone's ear off. More. You guys want to get into this top three now? That Let's was, do it. So we did Tarantino film yeah. rankings. Chase, you want to lead the, the... We're going to... I just did it out, so Dan's gonna go for it. All right, so we're doing a draft of the top three, our top three uh, Quentin Tarantino characters. All right. I'm gonna start out with 
my number one mainly because of the the character arc i feel like this character goes through but i also you know it was one of the main tarantino movies that i really because by the time i saw this particular film i was a little older i could comprehend it a little bit better than pulp fiction and when i think of tarantino this character's face just can't not come up and that's going to be the bride from oh. kill bill i think that uma thurman does a great job in those movies really building her character you know starting out as who she is and then who she becomes is such a jump and i think it's by far one of the most iconic characters in all of his movies it and is. so the bride is definitely going to be my number one i love uma thurman and i love the, that series so i'll i'll let chase take the the one who i would take because I'm pretty confident he's going to take it. My my first round draft pick is going to be Jules Winfield, Samuel Jackson's character from Pulp mm. Fiction, because he makes that movie. He fucking yeah. makes that movie. And he is one of the most iconic characters of all time. Where you're saying the bride is like one of the most iconic characters. I think Jules Winfield is right up next to her in being mm -hmm. one of the most iconic Quentin Tarantino characters of all time, with some of the most quotable Quentin Tarantino lines of all time as well. Quotable. Quotable. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chase, round out that top three, or the first round. All right, let's, let's see if uh, you think what I'm thinking. Uh, my one is going to be the one, the only, Django. Yeah. Django! <laughs> Uh, uh, honestly, I like this movie a lot. It was a phenomenal movie, and um, what's his name? Jimmy Fox is just a phenomenal yeah. actor, and having him in a Quentin Tarantino film just made the movie. So uh, honestly, Django is going to be a number one for that. All right, Love I was that. not expecting that. I'm I'm really happy because I'm picking the. I'm happy for my second round steal. I didn't think he was going to drop in the second round. It is SS Colonel Hans Landa. We were raving at him all about how amazing Glorious Bastards is. Christoph Waltz in Hans Landa is one of the best Quentin Tarantino acting performances there is. He might be a terrible, despicable person who gets what he deserves by the end of the movie, but he's still my number two draft pick. I'm surprised he dropped in the second round. I really am. I'm glad I picked him. <laughs> <laughs> I saved him for you. I didn't. I didn't know what you were thinking. I was thinking so, you were gonna take on. Uh, I'm gonna go. No, I was. I have two others before I choose him. I do love him though. Uh, I'm gonna stick in that realm though and keep that movie, and I'm gonna choose Lieutenant Aldo <laughs> oh, Brady as my good. second favorite. Uh, honestly, Brad Pitt, awesome actor, and just even though he has a very limited role. In Inglourious Bastards, I feel like you didn't see him as much. It's just his one-liners in the movie were hilarious. And obviously, you guys know I love comedy. So having him in that role and making the movie have like a comedic value to it just makes me love the character. His accent is so perfect, too, in that movie. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the ending. <laughs> he's trying to be uh, Italian. He's great in that movie. I remember I was watching the movie with uh, subtitles, and it just kept on saying, heavy American accent. <laughs> Buongiorno. <laughs> <laughs> Bonjour. It's great. <laughs> Arrivederci. All right, Dan, you're the third pick of the second. All right, so I'm honestly very surprised that this character did not get stolen, and I'm very happy about my seal. 
It's going to be from Django Unchained, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Calvin Candy. Ooh. I thought that he was so good in Django. One of the biggest reasons why I liked Django was because of Leo's character. I thought that he was just so good in it. I hated him so much in it. But that just shows how great of an actor Leo is. Um, and I, one of the funniest things I think about it is the behind the scenes fact that he actually cut his hand on accident. Yep. Because he was just going off so hard that he cut his hand and they kept it. And I think that right there just shows what a dedicated actor Leo is and what a great character Calvin Candy is. All right. Well, let's get into the third round, man. It's going to take some thinking to do on who I want to do as my third. I'm surprised but, no one's taking you know, a Once Upon a Time character. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> Speaking of, you know. Speaking of, and the worst part is because it's just not crossing my mind at the moment. Um, Frankie, you're going to have to pause this. For <laughs> we'll edit this. <laughs> I'm literally trying to think of what his name is. Which one? Uh, while, while, while you're looking for that, I just found out that there's a second Django coming out. What? It's called Django Zorro. Really? Several what? years after the events of Django Unchained, Django meets Don Diego de la Vega, the named the famed Zorro. He agrees to become his bodyguard on a mission to free the local indigenous population from slavery. That's uh, a new Quentin Tarantino movie coming out. It's based on the the book by the same name. And also, Kill Bill Volume Three is coming out. That that's been supposed to come out forever. Right. I know. Ooh. All right, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For the third take, I'm gonna do it again, baby. Brad Pitt, baby. Cliff, deserved. <laughs> All right, deservedly uh, so, dude. Okay, his character in the movie was phenomenal. Just the the first scene, probably my favorite scene in the movie besides the ending, was when he was fighting Bruce Lee mm-hmm. and <laughs> just throws him into the car. Yep. Like I seeing that on opening night, just having the entire theater cracking up over that, and just. I don't, I don't know. I just love Brad Pitt in the movie, and then obviously him saving the day at the I'd end. I'd argue to say he's the main character. Out of man, I would say so too. To I'd argue honest. to say Cliff Booth might even be uh, the main character of that movie. But I don't know. He the way that even though it's a fairy tale, we mentioned it. The way that he changes the Manson family era is perfect, and the the brutalness of it is what makes Cliff Booth. My third All right, character. Dan, what's your uh, your third round pick, your last pick? All right, so it took me a while to really figure this out. I had to kind of go through IMDb and look through all the movies and see who all the characters I liked were. Oh, I've already had my but third. I have come up with my third, and I don't think you guys are going to really expect this one. Who is it? But it's from the movie The Hateful Eight. Okay. If you can remember the movie, my there's head. one character who really kind of steals the show. Who is in it? In my opinion. That's Daisy Domergue. Oh my god. Really? I think she's really good in that movie, and I think the whole movie is funny because of her. I think Jennifer Jason Lee, I don't know if you know that actress, but she's she's the one who does uh she's in a lot of different she's in like NCIS and a lot of different oh. things, but she's a great actress. And I think she really honestly is the reason why I like the Hateful Eight so much. Because other than that, I think a lot of the Hateful Eight can be forgettable. I thought you were gonna Daisy Domergue's Channing Tatum for a second. Yeah, he's only in yeah, that, that was gonna be ridiculous. What? No, that, that's but a you good know what's funny? Huh. He's not a main cast member on IMDb. It's not surprising because he's barely in the movie. Right, but I feel like he was promoted that's as a main off. cast member he, when it first came out. I agree. 
I agree with that. Well, I'm glad that none of you guys have seen Reservoir Dogs because I get my third round to deal with this. I think this is one of the most iconic Tarantino characters as well. Uh, and out of all of the colors in Reservoir Dogs, there's a lot to choose from. I think the best is Mr. Pink, Steve Buscemi. He, he makes that movie. Mr. Pink has some of the fucking funniest lines. Like, you guys haven't seen Reservoir Dogs? It's great. I watched it last night. Oh my God. So you know how good it can be. It has, that is like, that started Tarantino's just long of dialogue and yeah. non-linear storytelling. And Steve Buscemi's character, Mr. Pink, is so fucking funny in that movie. I'm thinking back to the very first scene of the movie when they're talking about why they tip. Uh, yeah, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, he actually had me convinced too. I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, they they do so well. And there, there's so many good people to choose from. Mr. Pink gets the pick, though. He, he definitely okay. gets the pick. But that's what is Reservoir Dogs about? Just out of curiosity, it's about a bank robbery gone wrong. Oh, okay, or not a bank yeah, robbery, really a, a, a jewelry robbery. It's Dan. Do you have Prime? Uh, yeah, is it on there? Yeah, it's on there. It's only an hour and forty minutes. It's super short for a turn. I'll give it a go. It's really good. I recommend you watch it. So, yeah. giving you guys a recap of our top three Quentin Tarantino picks. Dan, you want to give yours? Uh, my movies or my characters? Your characters. Yeah, number one was The Bride, number two, Calvin Candy, and number three, Daisy Domergue. Uh, Mine was Jules Winfield for my first round pick, Colonel Hans Landa for my second round pick, and Mr. Pink for my third round pick. Chase. All right, mine was Django for number one round. For the second round, I chose Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Uh, and for the third round, I'm gonna go Brad Pitt again and do Cliff Booth. Two Brad Pitts. I'm surprised that yeah. he's the only one that got picked twice. Cause I could have easily seen Uma Thurman or Samuel Jackson also getting picked twice. I could, I, I'm surprised none of us even picked, uh, what's his name from uh, Pulp Fiction? John Travolta? John Travolta. Yeah, John Travolta. I, I would pick Jules over, uh, what's his character's name? I don't even remember his name, yeah. I'm, uh, oh, Vincent Vega. Vincent Vega. Yes, yeah, Vincent, yeah, Vega. Vincent Vega. There's also Butch Coolidge, which is Bruce Willis. There's a lot of amazing characters. I try picking one character Mia Wallace, each movie. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Well, that's going to wrap up our Tarantino film. We have a lot of fucking Tarantino to talk about. Next week, uh, we'll be reviewing Hobbs and Shaw. Chase has already seen it. Uh, he won't give too much away on it now. I'm going to try to see it before then. If not, uh, I may be seeing that and or The Kitchen. Uh, and I don't know if I'll end up reviewing that. If it's review worthy, I will. Uh, but I'll just give like a short couple minutes on it, not like a full in-depth review. We're also going to be doing a recap review of Euphoria episodes. Do we only do episode one? Yeah, let's just do two through seven. Yeah, I don't even think... <laughs> okay, let's just do the whole yeah, thing. Up yeah, let's do, let's do the entire season. Uh, I'm really excited to get caught up on Euphoria. Really. It's a crazy I've show. I've heard it's so many good show. things about social media. I'm really excited. But guys, this is your boy Danklin signing off with my co-host, your boy Dan signing off. Later, guys. It's Chase. Have a great weekend. Adios, boys.